Hello, you are about to listen to another episode of Beyond Clean, a podcast where we talk about everything that is healthy, positive, and proactive. I am your host, Dave Thompson. Yes, we are in Season 4. We broadcast out of Orlando, Florida. This is where the cleaning industry talks about everything that is healthy, positive, and proactive. We would love to have you on the show, so reach out to me, D. Thompson at academyofcleaning.com or at 888-999-6059. Be sure to listen to our live streaming that we will be doing this year on Podbean. Now, for today's show, let's get started. Good afternoon, folks. This is Dave Thompson. I am the director of the Academy of Cleaning Excellence, as the intro said. This is Beyond Clean with Ace. We are live on Podbean Live this afternoon again. It is now 1 o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon. Golly, I'll tell you, the time is just going by so fast for most of us that are staying home. Yeah, right. If you are one of the, I don't know, how many of us are staying at home working from home? We're not under self-quarantine, but we're working from home to limit our, what is that, uh, social uh, exposure? Yes. Well, uh, I'm sitting here again talking to myself, hoping that somebody is going to listen to this probably in a recorded version. It came to me after we got off yesterday that while we are live here this afternoon, and we are live every afternoon, it's probably not going to be very many people that join us that are in the cleaning industry. Why? Well, because as you have probably noticed by a number of the um, news media, the outlets that we all watch and listen to, uh, whether you're watching it, you're listening to it, or whether you're reading it, they have finally understood that the cleaning industry is essential. Gee, for us in the cleaning industry, how long did it take them to figure out that we were essential to business, just like truck drivers and some of the others? I thought it was really interesting. Uh, I saw a, a picture on one of the media outlets that had a whole line of truckers and they were talking about if the truckers quit, the world stops. I wonder what would happen if we could get a whole group of us together and we could line up and say, if we're not there to clean the world, the world can't live. Well, I, I kind of think that's the kind of the value that I want to talk about this afternoon. People are starting to recognize the value of what people are saying cleaning and I don't want to talk about cleaning today unfortunately we talk too much about cleaning and quite honestly I ask this in a lot of my classes give me the definition of clean what what, what, what just tell me really what does it mean and the problem here is is that nobody can give me the same answer and everybody goes oh you're looking for just one answer yes I am for the simple reason is that everybody has a different evaluation of what clean means. But yet, if I say, is it healthy, and I show them a picture, they automatically, every single one of them goes, no, or yes. Now, 
these are visual um, assertions, but are they right? And I think this is some of the conversation I want to have this afternoon. If you looked in the show notes that I put up for today, I want to talk this afternoon about healthy protocols, uh, certification of professional development, and the application of chemicals and processes. Now, there's a number of different things I want to talk about, and uh, we've had some questions that have come in, some interesting things over the last 24 hours. I'm going to try to get to all of these things. It has been a, um, well, should I just say, a whirlwind of activity for the academy. Education has become forefront. I think there's uh, probably two reasons. One is people are now asking, what should I be doing? And unfortunately, these are individuals that should have known what to do because when I look at the websites from these individuals, they've been in the cleaning industry long enough, they should know. And unfortunately, maybe they have not been doing the right processes. And this comes to light because a number of individuals, as I talked yesterday afternoon, have actually come back and said, oh my, I didn't know I had been doing it uh, incorrectly for so long. So I think that's the first thing I want to talk about this afternoon is do you know what your organization's healthy protocols are? Now you're going to say cleaning. No, I didn't say cleaning protocols uh, because cleaning is, as we already said, subject to whoever looks at the surface, whether they think it's clean. And, and I'm not concerned about that right now. The only reason I'm concerned about clean is because it's something that we have to do before we can achieve a healthy surface. Because every EPA registered disinfectant that I have ever looked at, and of course, I'm live on the air, so if you want to jump on here and you want to tell me that uh, I know of something that isn't this way, please do, because I'm not saying I know everything, but I will tell you that every disinfectant that I have looked at in my career, which spans over four decades, I have never seen a disinfectant that says on the label that the surface does not have to be pre-cleaned before use. Now, there are products that say one step, but even when you look at them, it also says, if you look in the efficacy, that it has to be pre-cleaned or that the product cannot work in the presence of a 5% blood serum. Now, here's the deal. A 5% blood serum, you cannot see. So that means I have to pre-clean it to remove that before the disinfectant can be effective. And, you know, here's my thing. As we're talking through this, we have a, a, a crisis, a pandemic, a plague. I've heard all kinds of different words. We're not talking about just going in and doing the, 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 the lowest amount, the smallest amount, just to get the job done. We're not talking about that today. This is not the same case scenario that we've been doing, and it shouldn't have been, but today it's different. So whenever we're talking about healthy protocols, how can this protocol that we have put out be healthy if we do not measure the outcome of the protocol. Now, there's a lot of things that go into that. 
And you'll find in our courses that we write here at the Academy, there's a number of different ways to measure the outcomes. But the protocol in your facility, as you go in there, you're the first responders this week. This week is probably the first week that people are going in. I know a lot of K through 12 schools around the nation. Uh, this is where we're going in this week and starting our processing protocols to make the facilities safe for people to come and occupy at a later date. Yes, many of us don't know today what that later date will be. However, I need to go in and have a healthy protocol. What is that? Before you start the task, before you just start putting people out there to go willy-nilly going around doing what you've always been doing, take some time and sit down and actually develop a healthy protocol. I did not say cleaning. I did not say disinfecting. I didn't say what product to use. I said, what is your healthy protocol for processing that built environment? If you do not start there, folks, you are not responding properly to the issue at hand. Now, you can come to any one of the classes that we have and we'll help you with um, ideas for that protocol, but everybody's gonna have to come up with their own protocol. You're going, that, and, and that the reason is because it depends on all of the things that are available to you all the way from labor, to product, to supplies, to access to the area, to how the area is used, what type of area. If you listen to one of the classes that Daryl Hicks uh, did with us, I believe it was February the 25th. I'll give you the show notes uh, here at the end of the uh, session today. Anyway, in those show notes, uh, you'll find that one of the things that Daryl talked about quite extensively is what he calls fit for purpose. And I think this is a very good point. When you're developing your healthy protocol, what is the fit for purpose? Now, what does that mean? Well, I'll give you a little heads up so you don't have to listen to the class. I would say that you should, but just for today, fit for purpose means that if I'm cleaning the OR room in a hospital, the fit for purpose of my process is going to be at a higher level than the fit for purpose of the bleachers at the gymnasium. I think you get the idea. Depending on the area, would depend on the healthy protocol that I want to build for that area. So fit for purpose, I think is a very um, interesting way to put this. It actually quantifies what we're going to do and how can I make sure that I've achieved that fit for purpose if in fact I do not measure the outcomes. So one of the things that I would tell you to do on our podcast this afternoon is the first thing is, is like I said, establish what my healthy protocol is. Once I have that and I am building that, the measurement should be, first, what am I doing now? So just go through 
and process an area as you normally would with the tools and equipment and supplies that you have doing it in this normal way you do. And then measure the outcome of what you've done. Now, why am I telling you that? I teach this in most all the classes that we have. Um, everybody has a cell phone. You got internet connection. There's two things that the GPS on your cell phones need. It needs where am I going and where am I starting? Now, we know where we want to go. We want to have a healthy surface. The issue is we don't know where we're at today. All that we do is we just go in and we change a product. I have people that are calling up, well, you know, I want to do this and I need to add this. What are you doing now? That's my first question. Before I can help you get somewhere, I need to know where you're at today. Do you have limitations? What are those? So as you build the healthy protocol, measure what you're doing today, measure different people doing exactly the same thing in very close proximity, not at the same time so they can see each other, but measure what other people are doing. What we need to do, folks, is we need to establish where are we at today. And somebody goes, oh, I don't have time for that. Yes, you do have time for that. You do have time for this, folks. You have to measure where you're at today before we can help you go further. You can't just go in and start throwing everything in the kitchen sink to it, anything and everything I can get, and then hoping for the best outcome. If we did this as a nation right now, our president, our infection control experts wouldn't be able to help anybody if they just start throwing everything that they could at it. The reason that things take time is because we have to make sure you're in the same situation. We are the front line first responders to preventing further infections in these facilities because once everybody's went through their um, 14, 10, 15 days or whatever, how many days that we're talking about here of self-quarantine before we go back to work and our places of business, that business has to be ready to accept us. So measure the outcome of where you're at. Then, and only then, take the new process. Maybe it's a new microfiber. Maybe it's a new sprayer. Maybe it's a no-touch cleaning machine. Maybe it's an auto scrubber. Maybe it's a new chemical that is on the end list. You know, I can go on and on with all of the maybes. You put together what you feel is going to be your best protocol and then measure the outcomes of that protocol and see what the difference is between the two. Because here's the first thing, folks, that you have to do. You have to validate for yourself the effectiveness of your protocol and be able to stand behind that when your facility is then opened up for business, whatever business that is, whenever that is, it is coming. We will come back. We will occupy those facilities again. When you do, you need to be able to stand behind that, not just say, well, we use the, the, the newest disinfectant. You know, we, we, we used that. We used this. We did that. That's not the thing because the, the thing here is, is, the people that are going to come into your facility don't care what you did. 
quite honestly, they don't. <clears throat> they're not going to know it. They're not going to see it. They don't know what you did. They don't even know if you're telling them the truth. All that they need to know is that it's as safe as you can get it based on what your environment and what your fit for pr purpose is. So I'm going to stop there on that one. Now, I should tell you, I've been fifth talk, talking for 15 minutes, didn't even realize that. I want to also tell you, folks, that the Academy of Cleaning Excellence and this live podcast is sponsored by Jim Supply, who has been providing supplies and improving cleaning, improving the lives of people in Central Florida since 1930. Now, they're struggling just like most everybody else with how to get supplies. I just saw a post with them on LinkedIn today that showed a big towering uh, stack of toilet paper. Uh, yesterday, it was uh, hand soap. I just heard that gloves are coming. So, you know, the supplies are rolling through. Are you using them? Are you using them properly? Have you got in the queue for them? Uh, if you're in Central Florida and you're listening to this, hopefully you've already gotten the cue to get those supplies as they get them. Now, I want to talk just a little bit before I get off on the next subject, uh, because uh, someone sent to me a deal here uh, from the cruise lines. Um, well, it was actually not from the cruise lines. It was from the CDC about cruise lines. And what it's talking about here is that um, they have found out now that the coronavirus COVID-19 is able to stay uh, viral on a surface for up to 17 days. Now, they did this on a cruise ship. It was Princess Cruise uh, Cruises. And this was after the cabins were vacated. So 17 days. Don't ask me how they figured this out. I, you know, did it take them 17 days to come through and process the cabin? I guess there could have been areas. I don't know. Anyway, that's not the point. 17 days that the coronavirus, COVID-19, stayed viral on a surface where it was then able to be transmitted. Now, what they are not saying uh, is that the researchers couldn't determine whether transmission had occurred from contaminated surfaces, but they could say that the surface was still contaminated. So as you said, you heard me say, folks, in this earlier in this podcast today, we are the first responders. So one of the things that the Academy has done is we put out a course yesterday. It's a free course. It's to help you understand, uh, give to the uh, frontline people that you're working with. If you're a frontline person, you need to get that. If you're uh, a manager or supervisor and owner, you need to get that to your staff. Uh, we're going to put that here in the show notes as well. Because if, in fact, there was somebody that came into that facility and they were infected, then it could be on there for 17 days. Now, that being said, I don't want to scare anybody because one of the things that we also put in the show notes uh, earlier is that 
you need to understand there is a level of understanding about what your risks are. Thank you. I see some people have joined in. Uh, we're live talking about infection prevention and COVID-19. Um, so, so the thing here is, is as you go into a facility, you have to determine if in fact there is a risk. And you will find that in our uh, protocol that we write. So in other words, we were talking about your healthy protocol that you should write in there. One of the first things we talk about is assess the risk. We also talk about in that free course about how to go through and start the process of first protecting that first responder and other people that enter that building while we're there doing our work. Because normally uh, this time of the day, uh, these buildings are not completely shut down to other support staff. And you know who I'm talking about. So um, just wanted to give you that update. It had been previously thought that it can only stay alive or viral on a surface uh, for up to nine days. Now they're finding out it's up to 17 days. Now, I also want to kind of go into, I've got another article that I'm going to talk about a little bit this afternoon, <clears throat> but I want to talk first about application devices because this seems to be a hot class uh, or course, if you will, that uh, people are coming to the academy for. So I kind of talk about this and talk through this a little bit this afternoon first. Now, everybody is talking about uh, chemical and application of the chemicals. And this is what you're going to see on all of our news channels. Everybody is uh, talking about what type of product do I spray? How do I get it out there? And we have to be very cautious about this. We are professionals. And in, in as such, we need to know what we're doing and why we're using what we are. Now, the, well, I would say the most popular method, let's just say it that way, of applying a product to a surface in the cleaning industry has been through a trigger sprayer. Now, if you've been on any podcast or any class with me, you'll know that I despise trigger sprayers. <clears throat> now, the reason why, and I always want to tell you why, the reason why is because what a trigger sprayer does is it takes whatever product is in the bottle and it atomizes it to a point where it then is breathable almost instantly as it comes out of the sprayer. So that means a large amount of the product can be airborne with any air movement and the user then is inhaling whatever the product was. The, my, my best advice has always been to use a flip top instead of a trigger sprayer. The flip top then streams the liquid out onto whatever it is, whether it be a surface, whether it be a microfiber wiper, whether it be a microfiber pad. Uh, heck, you could just squirt it straight onto a window if you're going to be using a window squeegee. Flip top is always going to be better practice than a trigger sprayer. Now, the next one would be, what would we touch? What would we use? This is where we could maybe use a fogger. A fogger puts out whatever product is in the unit and makes a mist out of it. Now, 
a mist is something that you're not going to breathe, much like with the trigger sprayer. However, if I have a large room, say a, a locker area or a weight room, and I want to get product to this whole area efficiently, a fogger is a delivery method to do so. Now, whenever a fogger is being used, the operator is not in the room. They do not walk into the fog of what has been put out. Because here again, this product is breathable. It doesn't matter what the product is. You do not want to take these chemicals into your body. So the only reason you would use a fogger is if I wanted to have a larger application. And that's all I had. And I had a person call me uh, this morning and says, I can't get an electrostatic sprayer with a fogger all right. Well, a fogger has a purpose, but it is not an electrostatic sprayer. Do not confuse the two uh, application devices. They are totally different. Now, some people are saying, well, what about a no-touch cleaning machine? No-touch cleaning machines are application devices. They do not disinfect. They do not, they do not clean. They are an application device. Just the same as the trigger sprayer, the flip top, and the fogger. So, yes, that is an application device. In that case, you're going to apply product, whatever the cleaning product is, or disinfecting or sanitizing product, you're going to apply that chemistry through some type of a pressurized system. Now, some people say, well, what about an electric sprayer? Yes, you could do that. What about a pump-up sprayer? Yes, you could do that. These are all application devices to apply product to a surface. So uh, electric sprayer, a pump-up sprayer, a no-touch cleaning machine, all of these are just a different form of applying a product to a surface. You're going to use whichever one of those that you feel gets the product there to the surface appropriately. and the safest healthy protocol for you and your environment. Now, they all have different pluses and minuses. I'm not gonna go through those this afternoon, but I wanna talk to you about electrostatic spraying. Originally, I gotta tell you, I was not a proponent of electrostatic spraying. Electrostatic spraying was simply another way to spray something out and I didn't like the breathing it in. But as the years have come along and the technology has evolved and the units have gotten better, electrostatic spraying is not the same as these other uh, chemistry delivery devices. Because what happens with electrostatic spraying, I'm not talking about what manufacturer that you get, all of these units put a charge to the product so that it attaches to the surface in a different way than all of the others that I talked about before now. So electrostatic spraying is in a category by itself different from the others. Now, here's a point I wanna make as we talk about electrostatic spraying. They are not disinfection units. They are not cleaning devices. They are simply a method to apply chemistry in a more uniform, uni um, 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 
gee, my words kind of left me there for a minute. A more uniform manner for people to get more even coverage on their surfaces. And what they do is they put out a droplet size that is smaller than a fogger, smaller than a trigger sprayer. And so it, it falls heavier to the floor or to the surface. And because of the charge, it attaches itself to the, to that surface better. Now, I'm not going to get into all of that. We have a certification class for that. And as we talked yesterday and even Sunday, as you probably already heard, is that we had some people that were talking about, you know, really do I need to have an electrostatic spraying certification? And a gentleman from California actually called yesterday and was asking this question. I said, no, you don't have to have it. Matter of fact, in this industry, you really don't have to have a certification at all. But is it wise? Is it best? If you're at this time and you're going in and saying you've done what you should, should you not have a certification to say that you do? <clears throat> I think one of the things that Daryl said in his class that we recorded earlier was that he looks at certification much like a driver's license. No, people run around without a driver's license. They'd run around with suspended driver's license. Does that mean that everybody wants to do it? Um, you know, the reason you have a driver's license is to protect health, your own first. Sorry, folks, I had to take a drink there. So, you know, here's the thing. Get a certification for doing what you feel is right. If you are in the battle against this invisible enemy, the coronavirus COVID-19, then maybe you need to have an infection prevention certification. We have a class coming up on the 2nd of April. It is remote learning. All you need is a computer and a webcam on your end, and you can join the class. That'll be on the show notes as well. Now, um, let's see. There's one thing I want to actually talk about because this just came out today. And as you notice, I'm not trying to mention manufacturers and chemicals and all of that. But there was an article that came out today and uh, from a very respected individual in the industry. And the first thing that I noticed as I read through the three-page article on COVID-19 cleaning, and this is the way that they termed it. This is COVID-19 cleaning processes or procedures. So I'm looking very critically because, you know, we're talking a very specific topic here. And what do I see? But not one line on certified professional development education for the person that's doing the task. Nowhere in this whole article put out by this individual and the establishment that put it out did I see anything that said anything about making sure that the person doing the task knew why they were doing it, they were certified to do the chat task, and that there was a healthy protocol. All that it talked about was all of the different items that they should use. And folks, if if you know, this is my thing here. And, and even on the on other ones, I see this. And then the, the very last thing that they put on the list is, and clean and, and education is, is the most important of all. 
It's the last thing on the list, and they talk nothing more about than that one line. So they just leave education up to everybody. What we do here at the academy is we focus on education first, because what we know is that if people are not educated on what is going on, then they're not following the protocol. Then they're using shortcuts. Then we do not have the outcomes, and now we do not have a healthy protocol that's being followed. So what was the other thing? I took a look at the pictures that they put into the article. Really? I mean, come on, folks. Think about this. This goes back to what you've heard me say before. I, I see things on the TV just before we got on the air here. I was looking at one, and here again, they were showing improper protocol for mixing chemicals. Chairs on the desks. Folks, we've got to stop this. Chairs do not belong on desks. Because here's the thing. If that chair is on the desk, I can guarantee you that that desk is not going to be properly processed before the student comes back and sits down. And you cannot tell me that every one of those chairs that were on top of those desks were properly processed all the way to the feet of the chairs and completely underneath. We are giving them, I've watched this all the time, we're, we're wiping them down with rags and we're not getting everything. So during the time that they're sitting there, stuff is dropping on that desk and now we've got this. Folks, think about what you're showing here in pictures. If you're going to put a picture out, a video out, I know that I do this and some people know that I do this. I'm on LinkedIn all the time and I watch things and I saw a video of a gentleman using a, a fog or a spraying machine and walking, <clears throat> actually walking into the fog. And I said, no, this isn't right. You can't do that. And the guy comes back and he says, oh, but we have a hazmat suit and we've got goggles and we've got gloves. I said, but you didn't show that. So the, the, the people that are watching this didn't see that. So they just think that's okay. Folks, the chairs on the desk is not okay. Not at this time. It never has been, to be quite honest. So don't put the chairs on the desk. They don't belong there. Okay, enough said on that one. I've already talked about the um, fit for purpose, but here's the other thing. When I looked at the article, they're mixing protocol for a hospital with protocol for a school in the same article. And you do not put the two in the same article. If you're talking to schools, you need to have your fit for purpose protocol for a school, for a K through 12 school. If it is actually for a healthcare facility, a hospital, long-term skilled care, it needs to be fit for purpose protocol for that area. So what I'm saying here is make sure that when you put out your marketing or you're talking with your staff, whatever it might be, that you do not mix protocols from one area to another. Okay, yeah, I've got more on this list because here's the thing. Um, we, we don't really want to go in and spray mists, you know, the, the, like, like the fogger we were talking about. If we're going to use a fogger, we, we put that in and we leave. Now, some people have asked me about UV lights. 
um, you know, hey, everything has got to be pre-cleaned. So uh, somebody says, well, with UV light, I don't have to clean it. Yes, you do. You clean as much as you possibly can, and the UV light will help where you can't get to. But it still has to be pre-cleaned because UV light will not uh, be effective if there's 5% blood serum there. And as I said before, you can't see a 5% blood serum. Now, as we said, your application devices apply chemistry. So what I would like for you to think about, if in fact you are using whatever application device, think about applying a cleaner first, and then do the physical removal. As you already know, I talk about pH and physical removal. So apply the physical, the, the pH product through whatever device. An electrostatic sprayer is an application device that simply gets the product to the area more efficiently. So use it, put your cleaner in there and spray it out with your electrostatic. Then switch your containers, make sure they're properly labeled with the correct product, and then put your disinfectant or your sanitizer in there to do your second step protocol. Okay, so this is what I'm talking about this afternoon, folks. This is a process. You know, somebody said, oh, I need a system. Well, no, you need a process. And a process includes knowledge first. Whatever chemistry that we're going to use, and what equipment that we're going to use to complete the removal. Every class that I talk about, everything that I've said, there are two basic principles in all cleaning. I'm going to finish our podcast today with this, because as we talk about all of this here, I have to have pH. Now, just to show you that people out there are doing things and don't know what they're doing, one of the questions we asked, we had asked earlier in this was, can I mix vinegar with bleach? Folks, this is why we have classes so that you understand chemistry. We're going to talk about this on April the 2nd of the chemistry of the chemicals that we're using when it comes to infection prevention. And so the answer to that question is no. The first thing is, is one's an acid, one's an alkaline. They neutralize each other. There's many other reasons why you shouldn't do that, but that's the first one. So knowledge of what we're doing is first, and that has to do with the pH, because many people are not using the proper pH of products that, they're, that they should be. The second thing is physical removal. I need to apply the product to the surface, I need to do it appropriately to the product labeling to get the kill factors that I'm after. We are in a pandemic uh, issue right now. We have a crisis on our hands. We are the first responders that are going to take care of these facilities and make sure they're taken care of right. And then the equipment and the tools that we use in this process act as the physical removal of whatever contaminants are there what we've released and how much we've eradicated them. Now, if I've done everything right, my healthy protocol that I outlined at the first of this podcast this afternoon should include everything that I've just talked about. And at the last here, I measure my outcomes to validate 
the fit for purpose of the area that I have done. Folks, it's been good to talk with you again this afternoon. It's been 40 minutes. I've been live with you here on Podbean Live. We are sponsored by Jim Supply, who has been improving lives with cleaning supplies since 1930. I appreciate any time that you have. If you have some questions or you missed our podcast this afternoon, guess what? One o'clock tomorrow afternoon, I'll be live on the air. We'll be glad to take your questions and answer anything you have. Send that to me. My email address is dthompson at academyofcleaning.com. This session is recorded, so you're probably going to be listening to this. There will be some show notes there with some links in it. Hopefully, we'll have you join us on a live class on April the 2nd when we talk about COVID-19 infection prevention. It is a certification class. Testing will be required in order to earn your certification. So, until tomorrow, keep whatever you do healthy, positive, and proactive. And hopefully I'll talk to you at uh, 1 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. I'm out of here. Have a good afternoon.